I'm saying, man, we'll leave it all on the field, okay? <laughs> I feel a little tired, but uh, I was going to suggest that we just keep on singing and go straight to snacks. <laughs> I think that'd be a perfect end for the evening, don't you think, guys? <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, dawning on me that uh, this is the last time that uh, uh, Patricia and I will be um, with you guys. Uh, we'll be leaving tomorrow to head back. And uh, so, Patricia, come on up here. We just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for just the, uh, the privilege of being with you guys and um, how much you all have put into us. Um, I know that my, my heart is full just by um, being encouraged by your life and your pursuit of God and your love for one another. And, uh, and my head is spinning from the incredibly tough questions that you guys ask. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, my head's spinning because I thought that was really a pretty bad answer. But <laughs> so disregard any advice I gave us. <laughs> But I don't know if you have anything you want to say to this group here before we kind of... Well, I do. Yeah. Do I need your mic? We can get a microphone. Do we need one? Here. Yeah, you got one there? Yeah, right there. I just want to say that um, so many of you have really entrusted some deep things from your heart and from your life to me. And there are so many things that have been lost and stolen. There are so many things that have been wounded and crushed. But as I listen and as we weep together, as you share, as we rejoice together over the miracles of healing that God is doing right now, that God has been doing, preparing in your heart before you got here and now as you're here. I am so blessed and so amazed at the miraculous power of God in your beautiful lives. And every one of you, I would like to just wrap my arms around you and like to take you home with me and just... <laughs> We'll just praise God and study the scriptures together, but I'm just so blessed by the beauty of your lives. And I just want to say that as Dan um, shares and finishes up on Daniel, to remember that Daniel was a young man whose life was crushed. Everything seemed to be lost and stolen. And there were deep wounds and there, was so, there had to just be so much grief, don't you think, in his life. And yet, look at what God did. Look at the faithfulness, the amazing faithfulness of God. And it's your God. And he's going to be just that faithful in your precious lives. So I love you all. Thank you for the things you've shared with me. And I want you to know I will be praying for you. And I'll be praying specifically for the things that the deep 
the deep things that you've trusted me with, that you've shared with me. I will be praying for you by name, and I love you. Thank you. Well, it's been a journey, haven't we? We've traveled all across uh, the Middle East and, <laughs> and in history. But I want to step back because it's interesting that when you look at the book of Daniel, you look at what's accounted for there, you see a day here, a day there, another day, maybe another day that accounts for basically 70 years of life. So what I'd like to explore now and in closing is what happened in all the other days in between. Because a lot of times when we live life, we feel like it's going to be every one of those kind of chapters that are brought out in the book of Daniel, you know? But our life can't really handle that many days like that, you know? <laughs> and, and God mercifully, his life fills us not just in those moments, but in all of those days in between. And so what I want to do tonight is give us a perspective on this lifetime journey of Daniel so that as we think about our own lifetimes, we're not just thinking about today, next week, you know, the month after we graduate, but we're thinking about where will our life be when we get to the age that Daniel was at the end. You know, he was in his 80s when he was in the lion's den, and we didn't even talk about that and how it concluded. Because I think that the idea of walking with a faithful God is understanding what it means to be faithful to him in all of those days in between. So I'd like to just share, not only from Daniel's life, but from perspectives that you know I think I've tried to glean along the way about how God builds our lives, so that you maybe have some perspective and, and, and to be equipped to run the race for life. And it's a long race, potentially. We don't know. But whatever, whatever number of miles that we have to go in our race, we have to be thinking about running for the long haul. So, you know, very few of us, like Daniel, start out, I think, knowing that we're going to live a life of influence. Daniel had no clue, <laughs> you know, as we've seen when he started out, that his life would be so central in, in God's history and in the history of mankind as it was. And we don't know. You've just begun. And we don't know what the author and perfecter of your faith has in store for the chapters of your life that are going to come. But I think that what, we, what, we, what, we've, you know, what we've learned from Daniel is that we need to first of all grow and continue to grow in our knowledge of God and his purpose and our view of the world, our history, you know, how, how we view history, how we view life events. And we've already touched on this, so I'm not going to expand on that, but I'm going to say let's, we, this is a lifelong thing. And I would think that Daniel, even at the end of his life, even though he had mind-blowing knowledge of God and God's, the future that God held, I don't think that God, Daniel could even begin to taste what, fully what God was like. 
The thing about God is, you know, if I were to ask you, what are you like? You would describe yourselves in so many words. And I think what's happened is that theologians and the students of the scriptures over the year have tried to say, you know, they write books, and I recommended some of them on, on the knowledge of God, and they said, these are the attributes of God. And they'll list eight chapters, 12 chapters. But what we know about God, we only know because he's revealed himself to us in human history, and we look at that dimension of God, and we say, oh, okay, there's his omniscience, or there's his omnipresence, or there's his holiness, you know, there's his grace. But an infinite God, by definition, doesn't have 12 attributes. And the journey we're on of knowing God is that as we go into eternity and as God unfolds worlds yet to come to serve him and to glorify him in, he is going to reveal things to us about his nature and who he is that we don't even have categories to think about today. And that for the rest of our time with him, we are going to be in awe as he's going to continually reveal things to us that are going to stagger us and amaze us and thought, we had no idea that God is like that. And so the, to study the God is really to study the most profoundly deep and life-changing thing you could ever do. And I would encourage you for the li your lifetime that you have this hunger and thirst to know God and to know God. And, and when you know God, it changes you. And when, when it's changed you, what it'll do is that you become, in a sense, that message. The second thing about Daniel is he didn't have much choice where he ended up in life. And you're going to be making decisions. And we live in a world where we think we have perfect control and decisions about where we're going to go and what we're going to do. But the fact is, there's going to be so many things that are going to happen that you have no control over. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be in places and in situations and with people and companies and organizations and opportunities and challenges that you never thought. But I think like Daniel, what you've got to do is you've got to grow where God plants you. You have to think long term. And <clears throat> two days ago, when we were on a walk, it was interesting that uh, around this side, this corner of the lake over here was this tree. And it, it reminded me of this idea of planting where God puts you and growing and thriving anyway. And I think that one of the things that happens, I think when you're young and you have lots of plans and you have lots of things to do, I think is that we overestimate what we can do in one year and we terribly underestimate what, we, what can happen in 10 years. You know, then when you're an old guy like me, you think 10 years goes by really fast, you know. <laughs> but, but the idea is think long term. Think about how you're setting the course of your life. And the little things that you're doing today are going to become the habits that you have. It's, as, the old man, as the old saying says, first you make your habits and then they make us. So cultivate these little habits today of devotion and seeking God and encouraging one another because over time, those will begin to fashion your character. Then Daniel, as, he's, as he came in, he wasn't just thinking about surviving and resisting, you know, as if it was, it was some sort of a spiritual resistance movement that he was in. 
He knew that God had a purpose for him in terms of what God wanted him to contribute to Babylon. And, and, and it was God's message to the exiles in Jeremiah 29, 7. And, and we normally read this verse when it says, seek the welfare, but the, the word in the Hebrew is seek the shalom. But, and so God tells the people through Jeremiah that when you're carted off into exile, you know, don't try to form an underground, don't start a modern protest movement. He said, I want you to do is build houses, raise your families, and begin to seek the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. And you know, isn't that the essence of being salt of the earth? Being the light of the world? You know, being a blessing, you know, as, as God told Abraham to be? Is that no matter how hostile the environment is out there, our responsibility is wherever God plants us, we think, how do we seek the shalom of this place? How do we seek to be a blessing? How do we seek to serve? How do we seek to make it a more truthful place, a more abundant place, a more loving place? And so rather than kind of going out and being on the defensive and then wait, you know, and you can't wait till you run back and hide back, you know, back inside your Christian enclave, you understand that I step out, and where I am, I'm the presence of God, and I bring shalom. And I think Daniel did that as he stepped into his role. And part of it is because he saw his future and his life through the promises of God. Because it wasn't just about there. He knew that there was a few, he was living for another city, right? And so he was thinking about this, and Jeremiah, as Jeremiah goes on, he says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have, you, have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. and You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so Daniel knew that God had planted him here to seek the shalom, but he knew also that for the people of God it wasn't a forever thing because God was going to bring him back to the place from where they had gone out. First Peter says, we're aliens and exiles. We're here on this earth, and it's, and it's a temporary journey in this world, but not of this world. And our promise is that we will return to our heavenly Jerusalem. And so we don't try to shield ourselves from this. What we do is we plant our roots in this, and seek the welfare of the place. And one of the things that I, I struggle with is the disengagement of followers of Christ from the very world in which they're planted. We tolerate our work. We barely see our neighbors. 
you know, we run to the things that we're, we're going to, uh, the formations that we want to attend to. We drive past a lot of times. The sad and, 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 and hurting things in our communities. When we should be, we should be wherever we are, we should be the presence of God. You're in that new company starting work. Your role, no matter how new you are, is to first and foremost to seek the shalom. You think, how do I create shalom? How do I create and seek the welfare of those around me? I'm in a new neighborhood, and I don't know anybody. How do I seek the welfare and the shalom of those around me? As I look at the needs in my city or my town, how do I do that? And so I think that Daniel, you know, when he became a ruler over Babylon and he was 10x better, he was like the scriptural rulers, you know, that said that by righteousness the city is founded, you know? And when a, when a city or a land has righteous rulers, they're blessed. Do you think that part of Daniel's placement in Nebuchadnezzar's administration like that over as a governor of Babylon was not only to protect and bless the exiles that were there, but to protect and to bless the, the people of Babylon so that in, in the blessing of God through his life, the people of Babylon would respond to Christ, would respond to the, the Lord God Most High. Because think about it. A ruler, a governor like Daniel, who was, not who was not corrupt, who was righteous, who was creative, you know, who was brilliant. How well managed was Babylon because of Daniel? You know, how well cared for and provided for were the people of the city and the, and the empire because of Daniel? You know, how, how much did they feel peace? How much did they feel love? How much they feel the blessing because of the presence of God's people in their midst. They thought that they were being, that they had conquered these people and these people were overcoming them with their love and their hope and their faith. That's what it means to be salt and light in this world. That's how we engage with this world. And I think that's our challenge. When it's, who knows Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Okay, somebody recite that for me real quick. This is, this is kind of pop quiz here. <laughs> I want to make a point here, and I hope, I hope that uh, the theologian in, this midst don't just, in our midst don't kill me for this. <laughs> but a lot of times when we read Matthew 28, 19, 20, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. We actually interpret that in a way. We say, go and make disciples in all the nations. And so we're thinking, okay, there's a disciple in that nation, there's a disciple in that nation, there's a disciple in that nation. But... What is before that word? Is it in all nations? Of. And that's what Daniel was doing. He was, he was discipling a nation. He was showing a nation how to come under the authority of the Most High. And he was teaching them through his life all the things that God had commanded him. 
And our, our influence to the world is not just to be an individual here and there, though that's a part of that, but is to step out into our world and say, how do we transform the soul of commerce? How do we transform the soul of medicine? How do we transform the soul of technology so that it glorifies God, doesn't bring people in subordination to the ways of mankind in Babylon, and serves and blesses others? Now, now we're thinking in a different way. So that's his perspective as he steps into, into, into his authority and role in Babylon, is I'm here for the long haul. God's planted me here. I know it's a temporary journey because God is promising to return me to, the, to, to Jerusalem. And for him, it was the heavenly Jerusalem. But in the meantime, I seek the shalom of the place where I am because that's, that's our role in the world is to change the world this way. One at a time, a society at a time. Now, the second thing, though, is that Daniel had a lot of years, <laughs> right? And so I want to think a little, I want you to think a little bit about the life stages that you're going to go through. Because you're not just going to kind of launch out and to do this. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of, the pro my problem is that I haven't grown up yet. I find that I'm still growing. I am still developing under God. And, I, and so I want you to kind of think about where you are and, and just anticipate some of the things that are going to be happening over the course of your lifetime. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to kind of some of the work that uh, Bobby Clinton did at Fuller Seminary some years ago. But it's been helpful for me in terms of thinking about the stages of development of leaders. The first thing is that there's going to be some sovereign foundation. Because people are saying in here a lot of times, well, what's my calling? Well, you know, a lot of times I think that your calling is not much further away than looking at how God designed you. <laughs> if God had a plan for your life, he probably designed you to do that thing. <laughs> you know? And, and he gave you certain um, family experiences, certain growing up experiences, certain family traits, and all of those things, good and bad, all form who you are. And so... I think one thing is to really think about who, what, who, how has God made me? And then what we want to do is that we want to continue to, I think, support this with the growth of your inner life as we've been talking about today. So I won't get into that more, but there's, you know, you've had workshops on that and we've talked so much about inner life growth. But I think a third thing that we need to work on, I think, is our maturity in, in terms of our ability to influence others. We have to understand that our influence in the world is not neutral. You know, a lot of us try to go through life and keep our head low and, you know, and off the radar and try to get through without making much away. But the fact is, wherever you show up, you influence. And when people come into contact with you, they're making decisions to go one way or the other based upon who you are. And so own your own influence, like I was sharing in the earlier workshop, and ask God to show you how to, how to grow in your ability to connect and interact, be an example, and show others the way. What will happen, I think, and it takes a lot of times, I think, 20 or 30 years, for there to be a point where the various life experiences that you have, the things that you try, you know, you're learning what you like to do, what you can do, what you can't do, you know, the trials, the challenges that you have, 
there comes a point in time where I, I find that a lot of times then you, these all things come together and then all of a sudden it's really clear what God wants you to do. It's very rare, I think, to have somebody that's, say, in their teens or early 20s or something like that, that can know that. And a lot of, some of you are asking questions, well, like, okay, how do I know that path for the rest of my days? I'm thinking, well, we don't know that path. You know, we just know the next step and the next step and the next step until all of a sudden the path gets clear. And so know that you're going to go through probably a couple of decades of experimenting, learning, you know, learning from mistakes, figuring out what you do, figuring out your voice, and then, and then what happens is that I think God brings you to a point where there's some convergence in that. And then, you know, and so I would just say, be thinking about that. Just know that your life is not, is not something where you're going to say, Can I, what's a book that's going to teach me how to do that? <laughs> you know, what's a seminar that'll give me the 12 steps to all of this? It's a walk with God. And he's showing you day by day as you're walking where you're going to go. But know that it comes if you stay with him. Okay? Know that it comes. And so you're going to fight through periods of where I think it's going to feel utterly confusing. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, I'm lost. You know, even, even Patricia was saying, you know, said she, she, she gave me two points of feedback on my talk from this morning. She said, one... She said, Dan, it's not exactly 10 steps, so don't give everybody the idea that <laughs> it's going to work like that mechanically. Sometimes they, you know, they're clumped together. Sometimes this comes before that. And sometimes they go backwards because even Nebuchadnezzar, between steps two and three, went backwards before he went forwards. <laughs> and we're going to feel like that too. Now, what's going to happen, though, is that those years that, Daniel, that aren't written about in Daniel, I think, are what I would just call hidden years. There's no way around it. You look at Moses, you know, he, he grows up in Pharaoh's court. He tries to take matters into his own hands, you know, then he, you know, he escapes by the skin of his teeth and he ends up on the backside of a wilderness tending somebody else's sheep and he's lost to history and everybody else except to God. And it's those 40 years where he's totally hidden that his life is actually formed. You know? And David had his wilderness times. And all of the, all of the, all of the significant people of, of God's history have these periods where their lives, their lives are hidden. And there's going to be times where you feel like, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm working hard. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm studying the Bible. You know, I'm trying to do these things, but gosh, I don't know where the impact is. I don't know what's happening. You know, I don't know where anything is coming of my life. But it's in those years where you're being faithful to God. And it's just, there's, and you're not playing to any audience except to God <laughs> and listening to God, that God is helping you learn to hear his voice, helping you learn what he wants for you. But if you don't have those quiet years, it doesn't happen. So I would say that when God goes into, when you go into these hidden years where it doesn't seem like things are happening, I would say stay faithful, stay encouraged. God hasn't lost track of where you are. 
And what he's done is that he's covered you and he says, I'm preparing you. Okay? And then, this is another scripture, I think, that really epitomizes David, because, I mean, uh, Daniel, but it, it was written by David, and he says in Psalms 37, 1 through 6, do not fret yourself because of evildoers. Do not, be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly and fade like the green grass. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. You know, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. But again, this, doesn't this echo the verse in Jeremiah about seeking the shalom? You know, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. And you, and you, see, where, you see where your light shines is that God brings the light forth. He causes it to emerge out of your faithfulness. And so, I, I, and so all I'm saying here, again, and I, I'm, I'm being a little repetitious, I apologize, is just wherever God plants you, be a blessing, be the shalom. And, and as the scriptures say, salt, light, seed, the fragrance of God, goodness, truth, beauty, the presence of faith, hope, and love. Isn't that an incredible thing? What, you know, what, how incredible would it be for a person of this world to know somebody that was characterized by these things? Your influence is going to flow out of your being that we're talking about. Now, I want to share talk about a few other things that we see in David's life, but I want to kind of categorize them in different ways because how is that life of influence shaped? We're talking about the hidden years. What happens in the hidden years? Well, I think that one of the things that we see is what I would just call uh, boundary events or life tests. One of the tests that you'll face somewhere along the line is just the test of integrity. You know, there was, it, was some, it was a test sort of like that for Daniel. One definition of integrity and character is what you are when no one else is looking. <laughs> and you're going to find that, let's say you're in the business world, there, you're going to be in a situation where you can make a decision to cheat or not cheat, to be ethical or not ethical, to be safe or unsafe, to treat a person right or wrong. And nobody else will know except you and God. And how you handle those tests in the integrity and the quietness of your heart will determine a lot about who you become. And if you haven't faced them yet, know that you're going to face them. You know, nobody may never know. You're going to face a test of purpose. Because what's going to happen at some place in the quietness of your heart, there's going to be the test of, do I stay faithful to the purpose of God and seeking the shalom of the people and being a blessing to this world? Or do I inch over here and seek other things. 
I know God wants me to minister to these people and serve these people and be here, but I think I'm going to go there. Be thinking about that. And there's going to be tests of your own commitment. You know, how committed will you be? So the, I, 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 I challenge leaders all the time in this area, because this is not just, I think, a, a Christian thing. I, I challenge the leaders of our organizations all the time that you, the quality of your leadership in the future really depends on your ability to privately pass these tests. The other thing that's going to happen, and we've talked a lot about it here, you know, and Patricia shared quite a bit, is that you're going to just face crucible experiences. <laughs> These are, I'm, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I think I shared that I was born and raised in Japan. These are, these are uh, craftsmen that are preserving the ancient skill of making Japanese samurai swords. And as the steel is just hammered and hammered and hammered under hot, hot you know, flames, it gets sharper and sharper. And, and, you know, and, they're incredible, and they're incredible works of art as well. And I think that you know, the life experiences that we've been sharing is a part of crucible experiences. And I don't think any of us are going to ever escape that. Some may be more than others. God never gives you more than you can bear. But know that you're going to face crucible experiences. And when you go through them, we just have to trust that he's fashioning us. He's cleansing out the impurities in this crucible process and sharpening us to be a magnificent instrument in his hands. But you're going to feel broken. There's another Japanese art called kintsugi. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of that. OK. I'm going to show you an example of this. Because in, 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 in the Japanese culture, there's a sense that things that are worn, things that have been broken, have a beauty because of the character of those things. And so like when a, tea, a, a teacup is broken, rather than discarding it or slapping it back together with some sort of adhesive, the artist, the craftsman, will take gold and use gold to fill the cracks and to rebuild the teacup. And it has a beauty that it never had before if it hadn't been cracked and broken. And I think, that, that, and I think it's so, so illustrative of our own lives. You know, Daniel's life was so broken, and yet God repaired it with his gold. And as a result of it, that beautiful that broken life was beautifully elevated to a position where God could glorify it and say, this is really my vessel. You see those vessels in the temple? This is really my vessel. This is really the vessel that my grace flows out of. And so know that as, as you embrace your brokenness and let God heal you, what God is doing is that he's pouring pure gold into those cracks and the brokenness to create and create out of you a thing of beauty. The other thing that happens through through suffering, I think like with Daniel, is that the suffering opens up doors of light to shine on others. Earlier today, we were talking about authenticity. And one of the things about trying to live perfectly before people is that basically then we mask our lives. 
And what people need to see is they need to see the work of God in our lives. They need, they don't, they're not trying to emulate you as a perfect product. And so when we hurt and we're authentic about those things and we open up our lives to show people how God is working, what happens is that God's light flows through that open door of authenticity toward others and gives them hope. And a lot of life really, honestly, is about just showing up. And wherever you are, even without a word, it's about being the presence of God. Because you are the presence of God. His spirit dwells in you. So when you show up in a place that's full of conflict and chaos, you're bringing the presence of God and his peace and his order and his direction. When you show up in a place where people are hurting, you're bringing the spirit of his healing and his calm and his comfort and his love. You see what I'm saying? And so you are the message in that regard. So I want to encourage you, keep learning about God. Keep learning what he's doing in your life and how he's fashioning you to place. And I think what happens with a guy like Daniel, because he was also a student, when he, do you think he ever stopped learning after he went through the, you know, the administrator's academy in Babylon? <laughs> No, I think he kept learning. And I think that things that he did was that he began to build a body of work. And we touched on this in the workshop of professionalism. He learned what he was strong at and what he wasn't strong at. He learned the power of focus. He knew what he was going to do. And he kept, he kept developing and training, also that he could serve. Also that he could serve. He wasn't trying to impress anybody with this position, was he? In the process, I would say, learn to build others up. Do you think that Daniel was a, probably a fantastic developer of his team? Do you think people like to work for Daniel? Hmm? Probably so, right? Take, take your ability and the skills that you're developing in discipling others and take it out into the world and, and show people how they can be built up. Learn to contribute. Learn to think about how to add value. Do you think that Daniel took Babylon from one place to another in terms of its effectiveness, its creativity, its beauty, its ability to take care of people? I'll bet you he did. He was faithful. Our world needs people that <coughs> are faithful and um, can understand how to influence it. And we need, we need lots of creative ideas. We need, we need lots of creative ideas and energy and work from God to solve the problems of our world. Do you feel like the political and economic leaders of our time have answers to the things that face us, honestly? You know, we have overwhelming pro problems that we try to manage, <laughs> you know, that we try to limit. And I don't care where you go or what issue in the world we're talking about. I, I, I really feel like we have a challenge in terms of our, of our time to be leaders that with, without authority or power, in many cases like Daniel, know how to influence and bring about change. 
Two of my favorite examples to think about this are these two guys. Do you know who the guy on the, the left is? Ever heard of a guy named William Wilberforce? What was he? What's that? And what did he do? I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear you so. That's right. Now, he devoted his life to ending the slave trade, you know? And he was a lonely voice initially, wasn't it? And it took him his whole life to bring it about. But I thought, you know, are there issues like that where believers need to look at the world and say, okay, how do we bring shalom to this issue? And I'm, you know, and I'm not like, okay, I'm a social justice activist or anything else like that. You know, I, I believe in the personal ministry of discipling, but at the same time, as we're stepping into it, he was a political leader. And from the position of his profession, he looked at issues and said, okay, how do we bring about the welfare people here? The other guy is the founder of Guinness Beer. <laughs> and, and, I, and I know one of his, and I, and I know well, one of his um, ancestors, Os Guinness, uh, I've had the opportunity to interact and, uh, with Os on a number of occasions. But what was interesting was that the Guinness family originally didn't start out to create a really cool brew, you know, that they could sell. What they, what, they, what they were looking at was the rampant, the problem of rampant alcoholism in their society. And they thought, you know, we can't stop people from drinking, but maybe what we do is that we create a beer that is so good, but so filling, <laughs> that you only need one. <laughs> and you'll enjoy the beer and won't be drunk. <laughs> and then with the profits of Guinness Beer, they were major benefactors for China Inland Missions. <laughs> and so again, somebody that was using the platform or their profession to look at an issue that society had and creatively thinking, how do we help the welfare of the people be a blessing, be generous? I think we live in a time where we can't isolate into our Christian enclaves. We have to, we're in a time where we need more kind of the creative entrepreneurial nature of God to engage with our world and say, here's an alternative. Here's a third way. It's not the left way or the right way. <laughs> it's God's way. And I would challenge us to think about that and think about what we're doing with our lives that way. And then like Daniel, I would say cultivate a love of respect for others in terms of the way you interact with people. We saw that in Daniel, and just as just a reminder. And then I would say, like Daniel, even though he didn't own Babylon, he exhibited an immense stewardship over the resources of Babylon. And I think he led Babylon not like Nebuchadnezzar would, but as if it were his own. And I really, truly believe that he probably left Babylon better than he found it. I think that the character of the society changed. How many Babylonians, do you think, became followers of Yahweh because of Daniel? And as they heard the stories of Daniel and experienced the wisdom of Daniel and saw the courage and conviction of his friends, 
it's really kind of crazy to think that God would seek after a heathen nation like that and seek to reach them and turn them. But it wasn't the first time. Where did, where did Jonah go? To Nineveh. And he didn't want to go there, did he? It was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Those guys? Guys said, go. And what happened in Nineveh? It's a phenomenal turning to God, wasn't there? So to wrap up here, you know, it's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take risks. You're going to face the unknown. You're going to face defining moments. You're going to face tough decisions. You're going to face times when you've got to confront others. You're going to face failure. You're going to overcome tragedy. You're going to have to have moral courage. And sometimes it's going to feel really lonely, maybe like Daniel felt. But you're never going to be alone. And I think one of the poignant things that I see in the, in, in the last chapters of Daniel is the angel comes to Daniel as Daniel begins to read the scriptures and begin to anticipate the return. And the angel says, look, from the moment you began to pray, we came to you. And he says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. So here he is in his 80s, and maybe he's still wrestling with, does God really love me? And the angel saying, are you kidding? You are greatly loved. And I want you to know that God is speaking to you. And say, so you may feel lonely, but you're not alone. You are greatly loved. And when you cry out to me, we're running to you. I just want to say, the world needs you. I know God loves you and has you, but our world needs you. And God has made you uniquely to make a difference. You are so loved. And what God says in the very last verse of Daniel, he says, so go your way to the end, and you shall rest and stand in your allocated, allotted place at the end of the days. It's a life journey, you know? And you might feel like little hobbits running around out there trying to get to the end, you know? <laughs> but just know that you're not alone. You're needed. You've been created for such a time as this. You're greatly loved. Father, thank you so much for these dear people, these chosen ones, in whom is all your delight. And Father, they're not lost. They've been found by you. They've been in your mind since before the creation of the world. And you've chosen them as your workmanship to take their place today. You weren't surprised by where the world was or what the condition of the world is in. And you, need, you needed servants who were uniquely gifted, qualified, designed, crafted by you to be your message 
to this world at this time. And so I feel so blessed this evening to stand among your chosen ones, ones that you love so much. And thank you that you're with us always, even to the close of the age. We love you, O oh Lord, Lord God in the, the highest, our Savior, our friend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.